Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Mark, chapter 7. One of the things that we'll be doing this morning is tying in last week's message with this one a little bit. So we will be going to two or three other places. So I'll let you know when when we're doing that. Last week, we saw Jesus in Gentile Phoenicia, just north of Galilee along the Mediterranean coast, where he was found and approached by a Gentile woman, desperate to have him cast out an unclean spirit out of her daughter. In this encounter, we found a beautiful picture of how someone should approach God. Jesus gave her a challenge and an offer, which many have misunderstood to be an insult. But it wasn't. What Jesus said to her was actually a parable, and most surprisingly, actually very surprisingly, she understood it. The woman did not take offense at what Jesus said, and she did not stand on her rights in her reply. Instead, she demonstrated that she recognized and accepted both Jesus' challenge and the offer that was hidden within it. She heard the gospel in Jesus' words, that she was more wicked than she ever believed, but at the same time, more loved and accepted than she ever dared to hope. On one hand, she was not too proud to accept what the gospel said about her unworthiness. She accepted Jesus' challenge. She didn't get her back up and say, how dare you infer that I'm a Gentile dog? I don't have to stand for this. But on the other hand, she did not insult God by being too discouraged to take up his offer. And what do we need to learn from this? That there are really two ways to fail to let Jesus be your Savior. One is by being too proud, having a superiority complex, keeping you from accepting accepting his challenge of recognizing how thoroughly wicked your heart really is. But the other is through an inferiority complex, being so self-absorbed that you say, I'm just so awful that God could never love me. And this too keeps you from accepting his offer. Just as much It's just as much a rejection of the love of God to refuse to seek him, to refuse to come after his mercy, to refuse to accept it, and then to refuse to be content with it, as it is to say, I'm too good for it. Well, that section ends there in Mark 7, right above where we're looking today, with the mother returning home to find her daughter lying in bed and the unclean spirit gone. And Jesus 
we read, then in verse 31 goes through the city of Sidon, which is in Gentile Phoenicia, a little north of Tyre on the coast. And then he loops back down to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to a region called the Decapolis because there were ten cities there. It is also mainly Gentile territory. Matthew, in Matthew's parallel account to our account today, he gives an overview of all that happened there in the Decapolis. But Mark goes into great detail over one particular event. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read three passages here. I'm going to read what we went over last week. So that summary we just heard will make a little more sense as we read it again. Then I'm going to go over to Mark 15 and read, I mean Matthew 15, excuse me. It's confusing enough without me making it difficult. Go to Matthew 15 in verses 29 through 31 and read his parallel account of what we'll look at today. Then I'm going to come back to Mark 7 and read verses 31 through 37, which is our passage today. So first, from Mark 7, verses 24 through 30. Last week when Jesus was approached by this Gentile woman. Mark 7, 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now to Matthew 15, verses 29 through 31. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel." Now for a detail in Mark 7, verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. 
And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, in this overview that we read from Matthew, we see that there's great crowds assembled once again. But do you remember what happened the last time that Jesus was in this mainly Gentile region on the east side of the Sea of Galilee? That was back in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Now, all I have to do is mention pigs, and you should remember this. The man with the multitudes of unclean spirits, whose collective name was Legion, Jesus cast the unspirits out and into a herd of two, about 2,000 pigs, the text said, which then rushed down a steep bank and into the sea and drowned. Remember the people's reaction? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for ruining our food supply. No. They begged him to depart from that region. Jesus did leave. But what did he do with the man that he had freed and saved? He wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no. Jesus told the man to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so, and then in verse 20 of chapter 5 in Mark, we read, And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And now Jesus is back in the same region. The Decapolis was this region of ten cities on the east of the Sea of Galilee and about 35 miles going south of the Sea of Galilee. So the southeast region, basically. Now, do you think the people of this region were a little more receptive to Jesus this time? Well, it sure looks like it. Because he was inundated with crowds, and the crowds brought what looks like every sick, needy person in the whole region to Jesus for healing. This time, we read, the great crowds came in Matthew's account, and with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. I think that covers just about everybody that had 
something really wrong with them. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them so that the crowd marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. Now, we know that these people were Gentiles because of the last sentence in Matthew's text there. It says they glorified the God of Israel. That is not something a Jew would say. They were Israel. This is something a Gentile would say. Now, in Mark's passage here in verses 31 through 37 of chapter 7 of Mark, Because of all the details here of what exactly Jesus did in healing this one man, many have taken Jesus' procedure as a prescription for a miracle worker. Remember that every miracle we have seen Jesus do so far in Mark, from calming the storm to bringing Jairus' daughter back to life, to healing the Phoenician woman's woman's daughter. There were no incantations, no arm-waving, or any other kind of extreme ritual. Does Jesus need to follow a certain ritual to summon his power to heal? There should be a lot of this out there. No. Absolutely not. And what exactly does he do with this man? First, he takes the man away from the crowd. He puts his own fingers into the man's ears. He then spit a little bit on his own fingers and touched the man's tongue. Germaphobes, just calm down. (laughs) Jesus looked up to heaven He sighs deeply, and he says, be opened. So why does Jesus do all these things with the deaf man who can't speak clearly at all? That's what we want to talk about today, and it'll get us to the main point. Jesus does all this not because he needs to. He does it because this man needs him to do it. First, Jesus takes him aside from the crowd privately. Why? This guy's whole life was being a spectacle. He couldn't hear, and when he tried to talk, nobody could understand him. So this would help him avoid any more embarrassment that this man has endured his whole life. In other words, what Jesus will do for him privately keeps the man from being any more of a spectacle. And once he's healed, the man won't want to keep it private. In fact, we read that the other people who were told not to spread the news couldn't keep from doing it because this was just so wonderful. And by this action, Jesus is reassuring him. He's communicating to him. He's saying, let's go over here. Don't be afraid. I'm going to do something about this. Now let's look to God. Being deaf 
brings an isolation to a person that even the blind don't experience. It's one thing not being able to see. It's hard. But when you can't hear, you're not a part of anything. It's very, very difficult. So not being able to speak on addition to not being able to hear adds a whole another dimension to his isolation. This guy is isolated. He can't hear or speak. So Jesus is actually using a compassionate kind of sign language to let him know what he plans to do. Can you see that now? And by tenderly doing this, Jesus identifies with him. He comforts him. Knowing that on the cross, he will be completely isolated as well. As he pays the price for our sin. That's the big connection so far. Now, there's something even deeper going on here, which the text starts to bring out by recording the sigh. Think about it. We would expect Jesus to be grinning with ear to ear with joy as he's able to hear him. What a great privilege. I'm getting to do something for this man that I care about. You would be grinning. I would be grinning. So why isn't he grinning? He sighs deeply. Because there's a weightiness and a cost associated with Jesus healing this man. Mark uses a word in verse 32 to describe having a speech impediment. It's translated different ways in different versions, but there's one Greek word for that whole phrase, having a speech impediment, or hardly being able to speak. We read in verse 32, And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on them. It's a unique Greek word that is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. In fact, the only other time we see it in the Bible, and you're going, well, it can't be in the Bible, it's Greek. The only thing left in the Bible is the Old Testament. But there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And it was used in the New Testament. When guys in the New Testament quoted the Old Testament, usually it was from the Septuagint. And guess what word appears one time in the Greek Septuagint of the Old Testament? Yep, this very same word. Now, it seems that Mark deliberately uses this unique word to draw attention to that one other place that we find it in the Old Testament. This word is so rare that Mark would have had no reason to use it unless he wanted his readers to cross-reference what's happening here 
with, there's a couple of translations that if you look at your references, it's actually in there. A lot don't have it, but some do. It's in one of the most known, loved, and humbling passages in the whole Bible, Isaiah 35. If you want to, turn over there. We'll be there for just a minute. Isaiah chapter 35. And once you get there, look for verse 4 through the first part of verse 6, which I'm going to read right now. The prophet Isaiah says this about the Messiah. You ready? Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the Mute, there's the word, sing for joy. Let it sink in, just a second. In other words, be strong and don't fear. God will come with divine retribution to save you. This is the prophet Isaiah. A lot of you women spend a lot of time in the prophet Isaiah. He has a special message for Israel. You're in trouble. But there's the Messiah who will come. So do not fear. God will come and then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shout for joy. So do you see what Matthew with his summary overview of what's going on on the east side of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus returned to the Decapolis, and what Mark, with his detailed coverage of this one event, what they're saying? Where is Mark pointing us and why? Well, Mark's asking this question, and here you go. For all the people... There that Jesus was with. Do you see the blind opening in their eyes? Do you see the deaf hearing as Jesus heals them on that mountain? Do you hear the mute tongue shouting for joy? Your response should be, yes, yes, yes. That's what the people should be saying. Why? Because Jesus is declaring something that Mark caught. God has come. Just as Isaiah 35 promised, God has come to save you. Jesus Christ is God come to save us. Jesus is the king. That's the theme of the gospel of Mark. Jesus is king. Isn't that absolutely, encouragingly incredible? So Jesus healing all these people was a declaration. I am the one. 
I am the Messiah. I have come. I'm giving you all my credentials. I'm not healing people just because I care about them. I'm healing them to proclaim something to you that you are completely not aware of. Remember, he's in Gentile territory here. And did you know that Jesus was in Gentile territory for about eight months out of his three-year ministry? And the reason he was there now was because, why? The crowds in Israel that had seen him do this, many of them were following him just so they could get something from him. They weren't recognizing him for who he was. And the leadership was doing what? Sending out delegations from Jerusalem in order to entrap Jesus. So the people wanted to just make him king because they thought immediately if they did think about the Messiah at all, he would be the one to rid them of Rome. And the leadership was trying to kill him because he was a threat to their position. So he's with the Gentiles and he's declaring the same thing. Mark records it, makes the connection and says, do you see this? It's prophesied in the Old Testament. When these things happen, this is God who has come. This is the Messiah. And that's what Jesus was declaring. Now, swallow, there's something else going on here. Isaiah says the Messiah will come to save us with divine retribution is a way to sum up vengeance and recompense. Recompense. But Jesus is not taking out his sword and mowing people down. He's not taking power. He's giving it away. He's not taking over the world. He's serving it. So is the divine retribution something that will only be fulfilled in Jesus' second coming, you ask? So where is the divine retribution in Jesus' first coming? Is there? The answer is, he didn't come to bring divine retribution the first time. He came to bear it. He came to take it on himself. And that just almost makes your knees buckle if you're standing up and hit the ground. When we consider last week's account about the mother's reply to Jesus, she was a Gentile. And remember in that scenario when he said, let the children be first fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The children would be the Jews, the bread's Jesus' message, the dogs, the Gentiles. And we put that story together with what Jesus did with this deaf and mute man in our passage and what it signifies. And what did it signify? I am the Messiah. I am God in human flesh. We suddenly become aware of the powerful and gracious picture then of Jesus' first coming. 
What Jesus was doing was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy in a two-part way that nobody understood very well yet, even his own disciples. Jesus was proclaiming that he was the Messiah who had come to save. He's the Messiah King. And the second part fulfillment is still to come when he returns again. That's quite a declaration. On the cross, one is written that the child of God was thrown away, cast away from the table without a crumb you put these stories together so that those of us who are not children of God could be adopted and brought in. Isn't that what he's done? In other words, the child had to become a dog so that we could become sons and daughters at his table. There are so many connections here. You can just go on and on and on. See, Jesus identifies like that with each of us, like he did with that deaf man who couldn't speak. He became a man. So we know why we can approach him now, or we should. The son became a dog so that we dogs could be brought to the table. And I'm not saying that jokingly. That woman said it humbly. Remember? When, she, when Jesus said that, she more or less said, I accept that. I am not a Jew. I don't get to worship your God, the God of the Jews. I accept that. But, I know, in other words, she was ritually unclean. She knew that the state of her heart. And yet she recognized that the crumbs were available. And remember, this is not just when Jesus declared that all food was clean. He was making overtures and pointing to the gospel going to the whole world. The whole, the whole world. Every people on the earth. So in their story today about this man, he became mute so that our tongues could be loosed to call him king. He identifies with us, with who you are. He made you with what your condition is, what your need is, whatever you're going through. So combining last week's passage of Jesus' encounter with this with the Gentile Phoenician woman, with today's of Jesus healing this deaf mute, one of the messages that should be forming more and more clearly in our minds and hearts that's really important is, we heard the first two out of these three already. Let me repeat. Don't be too proud 
to accept what the gospel says about your unworthiness. That woman wasn't. Secondly, don't be too despondent to accept what the gospel says about how loved you are. That woman wasn't. Now what's the one for today? Don't be too isolated to think you're beyond healing. The deaf-mute man allowed friends to bring him to Jesus. It doesn't say he ran to him. It says his friends brought him. If you isolate yourself, you cut yourself off from the gifts and mercy of the God who loves you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, have mercy on us as we consider these three ways that that we refuse you and the truth about your love for us. Thank you for sending your son to earth, this earth to live as a man and to live it perfectly. Thank you that our pride and our despondency and our desire for isolation were all dealt with on the cross as Jesus paid for our sin with his own life. Thank you that Jesus accomplished his mission and his first coming and that we can confidently look forward to his second coming with a sure hope. In the meantime, Lord, keep us on your path and use us any way you see fit to bring you glory and honor and praise. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for our benediction? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You're dismissed.